0: Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Christ is risen. risen So I'm Greek, and uh, most of you don't have the privilege of being Greek. So um, (laughs) I'm going to explain to you what you say. And um, throughout um, history, people, Greeks, have greeted each other on Sunday with... Christos Anesti. Christ has risen, Alithos Anesti. He's risen indeed. And what happens um, if you're Greek and you grew up in the Greek Orthodox Church, um, now you'll understand why we have the connection to eggs, okay? The connection to eggs that are dyed red is for the blood of Jesus that was spilt on Good Friday. And what happens is you go home at midnight On Saturday night, now trust me, you haven't eaten the whole week, so those of you that went through the three-day fast, nothing, okay, you haven't eaten the whole week, you are excited to eat, and what you do is you say, come up here, Sean, you say, Christos Anesti, and then the other person says, Alithos Anesti, and you hold the egg, no, you don't cover your egg, you hold it, (laughs) clearly not Greek, you know what I mean, so so the Irish Irish would use potatoes, no, I'm kidding, they would... (laughs) So you say, Christos Anesti, and you would say? And that's, I don't know. Alithos okay. Anesti. Alithos <laughs> Anesti. Okay. And then you would go like that, and I would be the winner, of course. You know I mean, I, I'd be the winner. Over, and, then, and then you turn it over, with, with which is your sign. No, no, the, the sign that isn't broken. Okay. You know, and you say, Christos Anesti. And, Christos and he's the double loser, right? <laughs> so although, although his tomb is open, so and my tomb is still closed, and, and we would go around as kids, and we would do this, and, and that was how... I grew up within the context of, yes, that was at very young age. The idea of winning being paramount was kind of, you know, <laughs> seeded in my soul, you know, in terms of that. Um, as I got older and as I got more friends that weren't Greek, I was really confused by the Easter Bunny. Like, does the Easter Bunny lay the eggs? Because that is even more confusing. <laughs> so what is happening here? But the idea of Christ has risen And the idea of eggs is at least kind of there together. If there's any kids in here, there is no Tooth Fairy. There is no Easter Bunny. It's all your parents (laughs) doing that. You know what I mean? I've already ruined Father Christmas for a lot of people. Um, But why is that important? It's important because today we we aren't celebrating a legend. We aren't celebrating this idea that we've made up. Today what we're celebrating is a bare historical fact. Uh, we are celebrating someone that was raised from the dead, which is why I'm all, like, got up here. People are saying, oh, why are you dressed up? I'm like, I do this for three reasons. One, if someone gets married, if someone dies, or someone gets raised from the dead, you'll see me <laughs> like this, you know? This is, this is what will happen. And Jesus is not a metaphor. He is not a collection of wise sayings. He is not a symbolic application of religious truths. He lived. He died. He died. And he was resurrected. They touched him. They sat with him. They ate with him. There's no higher spiritual plane than eating with him, other than to say that he's not a spirit. He is, in fact, alive. We are celebrating something, and every, uh, a lot of people are saying that in terms of our world of fake news, you've got to ask yourself three questions Is this true? Is it important? And is it good? And this is true. This is important. And this is very, very good. There's more historical verification of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus than there is of Caesar and his campaigns. And I'm happy to sit with you afterwards and talk through those facts. What I want to do this morning is talk more about the implication of the resurrection rather than its historical and factual accuracy. But let's be honest, this is hard to believe. Just because it's true and important and good, doesn't make this easy to believe. This may be offensive to you. This may be um, difficult to understand. You are in very good company, Uh, because most of Jesus's closest friends were very confused, and many of them didn't initially believe. And so we're going to pick up in Luke 24. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Luke 24, verse 1 to 12. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? Well, most of us will know that as, why do you seek the living? among the dead he isn't here he's risen from the dead remember what he told you in galilee that the son of man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and that he would rise again on the third day then they remembered that he had said this so they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened it was mary magdalene joanna mary the mother of jesus uh, of james and several other women who told the apostles what had happened But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. Not even going to touch that, ladies? We know how hard it is to convince a man of anything, right? The story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings, and then he went home again, wondering what had happened. Now, at this stage... No one has seen the risen Christ. At this stage, anything that has been seen is the empty tomb and the linen clothes that are left there. Why is that important? Because if someone had carried the body away, they probably would have carried the linen cloths away too. In in fact, we, we have multiple eyewitness accounts of the resurrection And the eyewitness accounts vary in detail, but they are all aligned in terms of the important facts. The stone was rolled away, the tomb was empty, and Jesus was risen. Um, And it's important for us to recognize that even though there are some discrepancies with regards to the detail, those important facts all align. Now in Mark's account, Mary is walking with the other ladies to the tomb, thinking to herself, how are we going to move that stone? Who's going to move that stone for us? And the question I, I, I was asking is like, um, why did the stone need it to be removed? I feel like the hard stuff was done. He was raised from the dead. There was life given to a dead body. Surely, he could have come through the tomb. I mean, we know that later on when he appeared to the disciples, he came in to a locked door, so that wasn't an issue for him. Why was the stone rolled away? The important thing, I believe, is the stone was rolled away so that the eyewitnesses could enter the empty tomb and find it empty. So that for 2,000 years, we could have a sense of understanding and confidence in that the tomb was, in fact, empty. But we haven't seen the risen Jesus yet. Who was this first eyewitness that saw the risen Jesus? Her name was Mary Magdalene, which basically means Mary from Magdala. She was a Galilean woman that followed Jesus and supported his ministry, she was one that was liberated from seven demons, which means that people would have remembered her. Ooh, I remember her. Now, the interesting thing is she was present at his death when many of the disciples were not there. She was present when they took Jesus down from the, to- from the cross and laid him in the tomb. She was one of the very few that saw him actually being laid in the tomb. Joseph of Arimathea, Jesus' mother, and Mary Magdalene saw him in the tomb and she was the first person to see Jesus alive. I often think, what must have been going through her mind? Here she is. She has experienced healing. She's experienced acceptance. She's experienced purpose. And now she is alone. Now the, purpose, now the person that healed her, that knew her, that loved her, is dead. And not only is he dead, but we don't know where he is. They've taken him away. John 20, Mary stood outside near the tomb crying, and as she cried, she bent down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels dressed in white, seated where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head and one at the foot. And the angels asked her, woman, why are you crying? She replied, they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've put Him. As soon as she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, and I don't know why, but thinking he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. I can literally imagine her going and fetching him. That was her love and devotion for Jesus. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Sometimes all we need is the voice of God to say our name and we recognize the risen Jesus. That's all he did. He didn't say, how do you like me now? He said, <laughs> he said Mary, my name, Mary. I know who says my name like that. It's the risen Jesus. Go and tell the brothers and sisters And sorry, Jesus said to her, don't hold on to me for I've yet gone up, sorry, I haven't yet gone up to my father. Go to my brothers and sisters and tell them I'm going up to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene left and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And then she told them what he said to her, I've seen the Lord. What a privilege to be delivering such good news. The idea of delivering news that someone is alive is very different to delivering news that someone has died. I was sitting in my yard, and I was uh, chatting with some friends of mine. Some of you will know Kelly and Matt, and we were sitting there, and we have a good relationship with our neighbors, the Seguras. And, um, and then all of a sudden, we just hear, Brenda! Brenda! And they're like saying, what is, what is happening? Who's Brenda? And it's like, it's their dog. And I'm like... <laughs> And then we have this conversation about why dogs shouldn't be called by human names. It's just very confusing. You know, Brenda, Brenda, what is happening? What is happening? Um, and so Karin and I go across there because we know they've gone for the weekend. They've asked us to look after the house. We go across there, and, um, and there, is, um, uh, there is Elsa who, who lives there. Her cousin is there looking for Brenda, and we can't find Brenda. We don't know where Brenda is. So we look in the house, we look everywhere, and uh, there I go into the corner, and I see Brenda. And Brenda's dead, okay? And so I take a broomstick, and I... I, What would you have done, touched her? Come on. So I I take a broomstick, and I poke her, and she is legitimately dead, she's she's not moving. And I'm like, okay, now how do I handle this? You know, with, with grace and decorum. And so... Um, Karen is talking to Elsa's cousin, and um, Elsa's cousin has no English whatsoever, and my espanol is poquito, right? <laughs> really very little. I don't know what came over me in that moment, but this is what I said, oh, no. uh, like this. I don't know why I suddenly <laughs> became Italian, okay? And I said, Brenda este muerte, you know? I don't know whether I said she is dead or she is being dead. I don't know what the, the, the context of that sentence was, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm delivering this bad news in the only Spanish that I really know very well, Brenda Este Muerte, and then she starts weeping and crying. And then I'm, I'm thinking, oh dear. Um, so Karen is hugging her and caring for her, and my friends are being so helpful because from my yard I can hear them saying, Brenda! Brenda! They're just making fun of the whole thing, because they don't know that Brenda's dead. They don't know that someone is crying. And so while we're delivering this bad news, we also have to figure out what to do with the body. Um, Because their children, eight and five and I don't know how old, are coming back. So what do you want me to do with the body? Um, Do you want me to, like, pack it up and throw it away? Like, what do you want me to do? And he's like, no, don't worry, I'll, I'll take care of it. So delivering bad news. Uh, is very difficult. Uh, delivering good news like Mary is much, much easier. she 's delivering the news that Jesus is alive i 've seen the Lord. Now, what she doesn 't know is that no one else has seen Jesus, except in this moment, while she is telling people Jesus is appearing to Peter, he is also appearing to two men on the road to Emmaus, and then later on he appears to all the disciples. So now, even though Mary has told the good news of someone being alive, the reality is that Jesus is now appearing to people and people are seeing him alive. They don't know what this means, though. They understand that he's alive, but they have no grid for the resurrection. This was not something that was expected, this was not something that was understood. It was, it was even difficult for them to, um, to understand because even when Jesus taught them after the resurrection, they asked him the question, Jesus, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Even after Jesus was resurrected, they thought, oh, this is what this must mean. This must mean a political victory. So even though it wasn't what was expected, it is still the greatest day in history and the hinge point of all history. Why is it the hinge point of history? Because let's be honest. Death on a cross was not unique. Now, I don't want to undermine the brutality, um, and I don't want to undermine how horrendous death on a cross was, but simply because of Good Friday, we know that it wasn't just Jesus that was crucified. We know that the Roman Empire used crucifixion as a means of power and oppression to show who the man was. And we know that they did this regularly, and they left the bodies up there as a symbol. And we know that Jesus died with two thieves on the left and to the right. And so we understand that the story of Christianity is, is, not, um, is not unique and it's not earth-shattering because someone was crucified. Well, if it wasn't earth-shattering because someone was crucified, maybe it is because someone chose to sacrifice themselves for someone else. But now we know that that isn't unique either. We know that there are reasons why people choose to end their lives. There are some very, very bad reasons. That's where we understand suicide bombers. Just because someone decides to end their life for a cause does not make that person or that cause a good cause. And when, we, uh, when our secular prophets put these movies out there, and at the end of the movie, it is someone that chooses to sacrifice themselves on behalf of someone else. That's always the, the highest form of love, but, but that, that's not unique. So, death on the cross is not unique. Sacrificing yourself for others is not unique. It must be the message of Jesus. And the message of Jesus must have been the unique thing. Well, I want to say it actually wasn't that unique because Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. And everything that Jesus spoke was a fulfillment of everything that was said in the law. There were many teachers and prophets that said very similar things to Jesus. You don't need a temple to worship God. This sacrificial system is burdensome and the extra laws that have been um, placed upon you by the Pharisees and Sadducees is not what brings you freedom. This law does not change your hearts and it's too exclusive. It's not just for the Jewish nation. In fact, there was, there was a prophet called Jeremiah who spoke these very things, but Jeremiah died and is still dead. The reason why this is the hinge point of history is because it is proof of Jesus' claims that he was who he said he was, and he was going to do what he said he was going to do. It is proof that unlike any other faith in the world, no one else has said that I'm going to die, and on the third day I will be resurrected, and that resurrection will be proof of your resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though they die, Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? The earth-shattering fact is that everything that Jesus taught and modeled while he was on earth was validated through the resurrection. We are not saved because we believe in Jesus' words. We are not saved because we even fulfill the laws and commands that Jesus told us to fulfill. We are saved because Jesus is raised from the dead. That is our hope. That is our future. We are saved because He is alive. And for the believer, and those of you that have been with us at Mercy Commons as we've been going through Galatians, for the believer, He doesn't just live, but He lives in me. It doesn't just mean that we will be resurrected. And even if I say that, it just blows my mind. It doesn't just mean that we'll be resurrected. Like, that's a little thing, right? It doesn't just mean that we'll be resurrected, that we will see our Savior face to face, that we will hear Him like, we, like Mary heard Him say, Taylor, Juan, Nick. It doesn't just mean that. It means so much more. It means that while we are on this earth, we get to live resurrected lives. Galatians 2, verse 20 says this, "'My old self has been crucified with Christ. "'It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. "'So I live in this earthly body "'by trusting in the Son of God, "'who was compelled to do this,' no. "'Who was forced by a legal transaction to do this,' no. "'Who loved me and gave himself for me. "'I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless.' For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no reason for Christ to die. Now, as Corin said on Friday, this does not mean that we are an irrelevant, faceless mass to God. This does not mean that just because he looks at me and sees Jesus, that my individuality has just disappeared and just evaporated. It doesn't mean that we are ignored. It doesn't mean that my individuality is erased. It means that my old self, everything that used to drive me and control me, everything that used to make me fearful, no longer has a hold on me because I've been united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. That's what it means for Christ to live in me. For Christ to live in me means three basic things. It means that I am being transformed. It means that I am being comforted and being able to comfort others. And it means that I have an eternal hope, but I also have a current purpose. I am being transformed. Second Corinthians 3 verse 18, Paul is telling the church, all of us looking with unveiled faces. What does that mean? Paul beforehand is talking about people that have not been able to recognize Jesus. They have a veil over their face. They're not able to see because of unbelief. But he says, but you with unveiled faces are looking at the glory of the Lord as if you're looking in the mirror. Doesn't that blow your mind? That when you see Jesus, you see yourself because Jesus lives in you. We are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory, and this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The amazing thing is that we know that sin can be dealt with. It was dealt with at the cross, not just managed and not just ignored. We don't have to manage our sin. We don't have to hide it. We don't have to ignore it. It is dealt with at the cross. And we also know that we will not fully be like Jesus until the day that we experience our resurrection. We also know that personal growth and change is transformational. There are certain things about me that are still being changed. The other day I was sitting and I, and I was talking to God and I was saying to Him, I don't know if I really am becoming more like Jesus or if I am just tired. And because I'm tired, the things that used to annoy me don't annoy me anymore. And there's no sense of Christ likeness in that, just a sense of being tired. I don't know that if it's the sins that used to plague me as a young man no longer plague me because I don't have those high levels of testosterone anymore. Or maybe I am being transformed into the image of Christ. What I want to say is this what we need to look for, brothers and sisters, is not perfection, but progress. We are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. And we need to understand that just like Newton says in his quote, I am not what I ought to be, but I'm not what, and I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world, but I'm still not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. The resurrection is hope for the addict and the depressed, hope for the habitual sinner, Hope for the tired, the bored, the persecuted, the forgotten, the proud, the busy, and the productive. It is hope because we are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Because Jesus lives and because he lives in me, I am able to give and receive comfort. Paul says, may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ be blessed. He is the compassionate Father and the God God. Of all comfort. He is the one who comforts us in all of our trouble so that we can comfort other people who are in every kind of trouble. We offer the same comfort that we ourselves receive from God. And this is because we receive so much comfort through Christ in the same way that we share so much of Christ's sufferings. That's the good news, bad news. Jesus never promised a life that would be free of suffering or trial. Jesus never promised a life. They will be free of disappointment. What he did promise is that he would be present in those times. Rosaria Butterfield says this, a life outside of Christ is both hard and frightening. A life in Christ has hard edges and dark valleys, but it is purposeful even when it's painful. What does that mean? It means that our suffering is not meaningless. It's not meaningless and we don't have to carry it on our own. And as, as a believer, as someone, Christ lives in you, it means that Christ is present to be able to help you carry your sufferings. But the body of Christ is also present, able to help you carry your sufferings. That sufferings and trial have purpose and meaning. The Bible is full. And in fact, Peter himself tells the church that suffering is that which actually purifies your faith and forms your faith in Jesus. It has purpose and meaning. Now, I've sat with people that are going through suffering, and let me tell you this. The only thing that shapes me more than my own personal suffering when I have to bring that to Jesus is when I sit with someone else and I listen to how God is helping them carry their suffering and their pain. When I sit with someone who's lost their loved one or sit with someone who's been through a miscarriage and says, I don't understand the peace that I'm feeling, I'm feeling sad, I'm feeling confused, but I'm feeling this weird peace, and I don't understand how people do this without Jesus. Man, that shapes her faith, but that shapes my faith, because I'm helping her carry her own suffering. Now, I'm not carrying it. Jesus is carrying it, but by her sharing that, it is shaping her, and it is shaping me. The tragedy is this doesn't come with a manual, I wish that suffering and trial would come with a manual. Okay, what are you going through? Okay, you're going through the loss of a job. This is exactly what is being shaped in your character. This will be six months. After six months, if you have received that, then this will happen. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. I remember when we did CrossFit, when I still had enough energy to do CrossFit. The one thing that I knew about CrossFit is this will not ever take more than 40 minutes. This is it. I can do something for 40 minutes and it will be over. Most of us want to know, God, what are you doing? How long is this going to take? And exactly why are you doing this? And it's hard when we go through suffering and trial and we don't get those answers. When I give and receive comfort, when Christ lives in me, it makes my past circumstances redeemable. Now, for me, I struggle the most not with hurt that has been perpetrated on me. I'm just saying personally. I struggle the most to remind myself that I'm forgiven for the hurt that I've perpetrated on others. Now, you might be different. For you, you might be sitting there thinking, I don't know how to carry this weight of the hurt that others have perpetrated on me. But because Christ lives in you, your past is redeemable. Because Christ lives in you, your present is tolerable. And because Christ lives in you, your future is full with unexpected joy. Finally, I have an eternal hope and a current purpose. If Christ lives in me, I'm being transformed. If Christ lives in me, I'm able to give and receive comfort. If Christ lives in me, I have an eternal hope and a current purpose. Listen to this. Knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus, and bring us with you into his presence, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, there's that progressive transformation being renewed day by day, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, this light momentary affliction, now you could say that is not true, This is not light and this does not feel momentary. But it is light and it is momentary only on the basis that it is temporal when you compare it with eternity. We understand that Paul, who wrote this, knows what suffering is like. He details whippings, being um, left at sea, robbed, beaten, in prison, etc. And he's saying these light and momentary afflictions. We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I don't fear death. I fear how I'm going to die, like I don't want to die in a wood chipper, but <laughs> I, I don't actually fear dying. When we were in Nepal, we had to fly home like a, um, we, we'd run out of time. So instead of driving all the way back, we were going to get on this plane. And it, we had two choices, Yeti Air and Buddha Air. And Yeti Air had a plane that had gone down two weeks before. And it was way cheaper. What do you think I said? <laughs> Yeti Air. And they looked at me and, they said, and I said, what? We'll be with Jesus. And actually, we're super high, so we're closer, you know. <laughs> I don't... Fear death, and I, I, I want you to understand this. I don't fear death because death has no sting. I will live eternally. What I fear is wasting my life. My girl said to me, "Dad, are you afraid of anything?" I said, "Yes. I'm afraid that you will not love Jesus. I know that they are held by him, and I know that I have now very little control over adults. But it's not—it's not that I'm free from fear." It's not that I'm some kind of psychotic person I know some of you guys think that. Uh, I'm not. I have no reason to fear death, because I'm going to see him face to face. I'm going to look at him and he's going to look at me, and he's going to say, "Well done, good and faithful servant." Even if I feel like I've wasted my life, I'm going to hear those words from him, because Christ lives in me. Some of us need to remember that we're going to die. It needs to remind us that we need to build for eternity. We also need to be reminded that because we have an eternal hope, we have a current purpose. And our current purpose is to be like Mary. Our current purpose is to say, I have seen the Lord, and He has risen. I have seen the Lord, and He has risen. We ought to be those people that revel in the mercy of God that no matter what goes on in terms of our trial and suffering or how lacking in transformation we may be, we can say, Jesus, I thank you for your mercies. We are those that by our lifestyle display the mercies of God. We are those that have been called to actually through our voices proclaim the mercies of God. And we are those that participate in acts of mercy for the common good of the people that God has called us to. When I have an eternal hope, I also have a common purpose and I'm united with every other believer, not just in this room, not just in this city, but throughout the world, our common mission of sharing the resurrection hope with those that so desperately need to know. We're here, Pacific Standard Time, hundreds of millions of believers have already said Christ has risen, truly has risen we are part of a never-ending witness of Christ has risen, truly has risen. So maybe this morning, as you're listening to this, maybe this morning you're feeling hurt or bored. Maybe you've been in church for a long time and you've known Jesus. Maybe you've actually been part of the inner circle like those disciples, but you're on your own journey of disappointment and pain. You're on a journey of disappointment and pain because you've had unmet expectations or legitimate negative experiences with the people of God. Maybe you are like those, like Peter in verse 12. Peter jumped up, went to the tomb. He saw that it was empty. And stooping in, he peered in, saw the empty linen wrappings, and declared Jesus as Lord, is alive. No. He went home wondering what had happened. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you know you've seen the empty tomb. Or maybe the vision of Jesus or His voice is a little faint for you. And Jesus is here through His Holy Spirit to remind you, you belong to Him. Maybe you're confused this morning. Maybe you're on a a journey of deconstruction, maybe you are on a journey of actually saying, I like this about Christianity, but I'm not sure I like that about Christianity. Maybe you're confused and unsatisfied. What would happen if Jesus called your name this morning? What would happen if Jesus revealed himself afresh to you? Because I believe he is right now. Verse 11, but the story sounded like nonsense to them. So they didn't believe Maybe it sounds like nonsense to you. Maybe there's a sense in which I've heard this woman, I've seen her life turn around, but I just don't understand, this makes no sense to me. Maybe you've never met him. Maybe this Jesus is some ideal of like the perfect person. Maybe Jesus is a list of do's and don'ts for you. Maybe he's a caricature of some political ideology. Maybe you've never experienced him as your sacrifice, as your victory, and as your friend. This morning, you can experience him as that. Because what scripture says is that it is so simple to believe in Jesus. Paul tells the Roman church, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and in your heart you have faith, what? That God raised him from the dead doesn't say if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and in your heart you believe that he's going to give you the power to live the life that he's called you to live. He will. But why are we saved? Because Jesus is risen from the dead. That's why we're saved. And in your heart you have faith that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Because trusting with a heart leads to righteousness and confessing with your mouth leads to salvation. There does need to be a confession of faith. Whether you confess it to someone you came with, whether you confess it to someone in leadership here, or whether you want to confess it as we enter baptism, there does need to be a confession of your mouth because it's with a heart that you believe, it's with confession with your mouth that you actually make that statement of faith. The eternal kingdom of God can break into your life right now where death has no sting, but also you can become a light in a dark place. You can become hope in times of fear. You can become love in places of hate. And you can become joy in times of despair. Today, Jesus, the King resurrected, can live in you by His Spirit. Today, and band, you can join me up here. Today, you can say, as a deep reality of your own life, the Lord, my Lord, has risen, and he lives in me. Let me pray. God of all comfort, we come to you this morning, the celebration of the hinge point of history. We come before you this morning recognizing that you are the one that rescued us from death and brought us into new life, that you are the one That gives the hurt, the bored, the confused, and the proud new hope. You are the one, because of your resurrection, that triumphed over sin. I want to thank you for your death that dealt with the penalty of sin. But I want to thank you for your resurrection that gives us the power over sin. And I want to pray that as we welcome new members into your body, that there would be a fresh stirring of your grace that you would help those of us that have walked away, that you would help those of us that are confused, that you would help those of us that have gone home wondering what has happened, that you would help those of us that think this is nonsense, that you, by your Spirit, would speak our name and we would turn and see you and cling to you the way that Mary wanted to cling to you. Jesus, right now, by your Holy Spirit, I want to pray for a fresh outpouring of your grace and I want to pray for a fresh understanding of the joy of resurrection that those that already follow Jesus would experience. And I want to pray for those that you are speaking to now, Holy Spirit, who need to confess with their mouths and believe in their hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised him from the dead, that they would have the courage to do that. In Jesus' name.